Hello, and welcome to this special podcast episode from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. I'm Thomas Dixon. During the coronavirus lockdown of 2020, I presented a series for BBC Radio 4 called A Short History of Solitude. It explored what people have done and felt and thought when they were on their own across the centuries from anchorites to Zoom meetings. All three episodes are available to download from BBC Sounds and I can thoroughly recommend listening to them, whether alone or in company. My own favourite kind of solitude is walking alone in nature. And so it was a delight for me to hear from the nature writer and novelist Melissa Harrison as part of the series. In response to our request for a contribution, Melissa produced a beautiful audio essay reflecting on her relationship with solitude, from her loneliness as a child to the recent experience of lockdown isolation, and also the solace that she's always found in nature. We were only able to use a couple of short excerpts from the essay in our radio series, and so I'm delighted that you will now be able to hear the piece in its entirety. So, sit back, or step outside, relax, and let yourself be transported to the Suffolk countryside. I'm standing behind a tall bank of thistles and nettles and brambles on a hot afternoon. There are bees and butterflies on the brambles which are just coming into flower. And on the other side of the bank is a tumble-down old Suffolk barn. This is somewhere I like to come because there's an owl box in the barn and sometimes I see a barn owl. Unless a dog walker comes this way, I'll be completely alone here for some hours. And I've been living alone for three years, but I've been completely alone since the beginning of March. I don't even have my dog with me. I share custody of her with my ex-husband, and she was in London when lockdown hit. I live in a tiny village, more of a hamlet really, and my cottage is right in the centre. So I do see people. I have neighbours to talk to now and then. And there's always the person on the checkout at the supermarket. But my life goes on completely unseen and unregarded. And it's mostly been okay. There are days when I long for company. But then if I'm in my front garden doing a bit of weeding and someone stops to say hi, it can feel like a dreadful imposition. Just like there are days when I long to leave the village and go and do something. But equally, 
I'm terrified of going anywhere at all. This lockdown period has been very strange and very intense, quite illogical. I'm longing for crowds, but at the same time, I'm also thinking how nice it would be to move out of the village and live somewhere truly remote. Before lockdown, I had a really good pattern going where I lived in Suffolk, but I worked for nine days a month in London and I stayed with really good friends in a flat share when I was in town and I spent my days in a busy office and I moved around London in huge anonymous crowds and then I'd come back here and be by myself and write and it worked really well for me but I've lost the London part of me and London's where I lived for 22 years so I feel like a bit of me has been cut off but at the same time I'm really fortunate I've spent some time practising for this training for it I suppose and in fact when it looked like we were going to have to go into isolation I felt like I'd always known this was coming there was a bit of me that recognised it and went okay yep you're ready for this I grew up the youngest child in a family of six children and so it was a really loud and busy household but at the same time they were all a lot older than me and they mostly played with each other and from the age of 11 they all left home so I spent my teenage years with just my parents who were by then in their 50s I know now looking back that I spent most of my childhood incredibly lonely, although I wouldn't have known to call it that then. I grew up in the late 70s and early 80s when children could play unsupervised outdoors all day and nature was a real solace for me. I had very intense relationships with places and animals, frogs and toads particularly, and trees. And I remember favourite trees, which I would imagine were pleased to see me. And they liked it when I climbed them. But they didn't like other children, they only liked me. I suppose what I was doing was trying to imagine a kind of acceptance for myself. I found school hard. I didn't feel that I fitted in. And I think that's the case for a lot of writers. A lot of writers have an experience of feeling on the outside of things, an observer, not quite one of the crowd. Because humans are very good at turning difficult experiences into strengths. And I've certainly done that, and it's something I've done with solitude too. Slowly over the years, I've come to really enjoy my own company. I find it very difficult to imagine living with anyone again now. In my 20s, though, I found spending time with myself very challenging. I think I had built my identity, my sense of myself, um, on the reactions of other people. I knew who I was in company, 
by myself that began to fall away and I'd end up feeling quite fractured and lost. In my 30s, when I was married and learning how to be a writer, I began to go on writing trips by myself, sometimes a week or two, sometimes. I'd look after friends' houses, dog sit, or even rent a little cottage and go and work on a book. And slowly, I began to get used to myself. Now, I find that I'm my truest self when I'm alone. It's being with other people that's the compromise now. I'm somebody who's very influenced by the moods of other people. So if somebody is sad or angry or anxious, it really rubs off on me. So being alone is easier. But there's a flip side to that, of course. If I'm the one that's angry or sad or anxious, it's very hard to shift that mood without anyone else around me. I write about nature in novels, non-fiction, um, a column for The Times, and recently I've been making a podcast called The Stubborn Light of Things, which is aimed at keeping people in lockdown in touch with the natural world. So I spend a lot of time out by myself, looking and listening and it's an incredibly important part of my life now. I couldn't do without it. I used to love walking in company, and I still do sometimes. One of the things I miss about my husband is what a brilliant walker he was, a great navigator. And we, we'd go on fantastic walks together in the Lake District and Dartmoor and lots of places. I miss that. But if you're out by yourself, firstly, you see more wildlife. You tend not to be talking. There's only one person's smell, one person's set of footfalls. You can stop as often as you like. But there's something else too about being alone in nature for me. If I'm in company, I can never forget that I'm human because I have a reminder of it right there with me, another person to think about and who I'm either literally or imaginatively in conversation with. Of course, it's folly to imagine that you can really remove yourself from anywhere, but I can pretend I can look out at a scene and imagine what it's like without me in it. Without any humans in it. And I can imagine the past. I love to read landscapes for marks of the past, how people used to live, what happened in a place. And I can forget the present if I'm alone. Walking by myself, I feel my thoughts 
quiet and, and slow. And all of the conversations that I have with people constantly in my head, or with myself, all of that falls away. And sometimes I can enter a state that I've heard described as flow, where images and ideas rise up almost unbidden and present themselves in new relationships, new combinations. And that's when some of my best, well, I was going to say thinking, but it's not quite thinking, but that's when some of my best ideas happen. And it can be a very intense emotional experience, letting yourself fall away like that. It's almost as if your ego dissolves. Because at home, everything reflects yourself back to you. All of your possessions or things that you've chosen, things that you like or hate or have a relationship with. But out in nature, nothing reflects you back to yourself. It's gloriously itself. The natural world is just getting on with the grand business of growing and reproducing and dying with no relevance to you at all. And I find that so relaxing. And those brief epiphanies can really leave their mark. I tried to write about that feeling in my last novel, All Among the Barley. The narrator is a 13-year-old girl called Edie, and the year is 1934, in Suffolk here. And Edie thinks, I've always thought that there is something holy about dusk, when the light begins to fade and the fields lie empty, the lamps are lit indoors and the birds are seen winging to their roosts before darkness falls. The evening sun was low and warm, my shadow running over the soft ears of wheat, and somewhere nearby a turtle dove was making a low, contented sound. Alone, I felt all my confusion ebb and my soul expand. Yes, that was it, exactly, as though I was part of everything and everything loved me and reached out to me somehow. Our quiet cornfields, the evening sky, the trees. And then a doorhawk began to chur. The feeling faded, and I shook my head and picked up my pace. When I began to write, I was really inspired by people like Kathleen Jamie, and Nan Shepherd, Annie Dillard women who went out into nature and spent time there by themselves. But of course, the, the canon is peopled with male walkers, solitary men striding around and coming into relationship with place alone. And of course, there are reasons for this. And one is the fact that women generally have so many more caring responsibilities than men. 
and shoulder the burden of looking after children and parents too. And that ties women to home. But the other is the pernicious phantom of stranger danger. Not that it doesn't exist, but we know now that the greatest danger to women lies in their own homes. And I find it very interesting that as a society, we don't spend our time warning women not to marry, not to have men in their homes. But we do spend our time warning women not to go out abroad, not to walk, not to adventure. It's as though risk incurred in the production of a home is risk we're willing to let women take, but risk incurred in the pursuit of self, even though it's a much lower risk, isn't worth it. Well, I say it is. I walk at night. I walked for four days up the A5 once by myself. I'm not saying it's without risk, but I refuse to live a constrained life. This is something I need to have a relationship with the natural world and with places that is unmediated through anyone else. And it's something we all have a right to. You've been listening to Melissa Harrison on Solitude, a podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. To hear more from Melissa, do listen to her podcast series, The Stubborn Light of Things, in which she documents the wonder and richness of the natural world in 27 glorious episodes. And stay glued to the Queen Mary History of Emotions podcast feed for a new eight-part series on Places of Solitude. It's presented by Hetta Howes as part of the Pathologies of Solitude project, and it's coming soon to some headphones near you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It was produced by Natalie Steed and made possible by the generosity of the Wellcome Trust. We hope it made you feel something.